Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your dreams. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special My Health Record follow-up edition, Bernard Robertson Dunn talks about why you should opt out of My Health Record. Some of the fears about My Health Record are actually exaggerated, but so are some of the benefits. But first up, here's My Health Record news. Opt-out. Thursday, the 31st of January 2019, has just been announced as the last official day to opt out of the My Health Record system. Everybody else will have one created for them. My Health Record is the Australian Government's centralised health record sharing system. In 2012, an opt-in record system was set up by the Australian Labor Government, calling it the Personally Controlled Electronic Health Record. P-C-E-H-R. It was changed to the compulsory My Health Record in 2015 by the Liberal National Coalition Government, with a three-month opt-out period for 2018. My Health Record is run on the exact same software and by the exact same person as the failed British Care.Data health record system, which was closed down when it was caught selling people's data to private companies. Police and all other government agencies can access your private information without a warrant, which the police union has stated is a step too far. When the opt-out period opened on July 16, 2018, the government's My Health Record opt-out website crashed from all the people trying to use it. As of early October, over a million people had opted out. The website is not accessible for people with vision problems. The government won't say how many people have opted out in the last month, but we do know that the phone hotline system crashed and that people are waiting in the queue for up to 45 minutes. According to the Doctors' Reform Society, at least a third of Australians don't know that My Health Record will be created for them. So they can't choose to opt out. Most healthcare providers have not signed up to My Health Record. Most specialists are not part of the scheme and there's been no direct attempt by the government to involve them. The government has not addressed the problems relating to many vulnerable groups, such as teenagers, victims of family violence, sex workers, those with mental illnesses, those who can't control their own health records because of a lack of skills, language and cultural barriers, lack of money, or a lack of a good relationship with a regular supportive doctor. My health records are implemented as simple PDF image files instead of a real searchable database. The recommendations of the privacy and security team were ignored, and instead of every person needing a smart card to access your health data, with a record of who looked at your files and when, there's just one password and one username for every institution. 
the director of the privacy team at the Australian Digital Health Agency, which operates my health record, quit last month because the government just isn't listening to their own experts. In a press release, Maggie Toko, CEO of Victorian Mental Illness Awareness Council, warned young people may stop seeking health services for needs that are often stigmatised, such as mental health, sexual and reproductive health, substance use and gender diversity, because my health record will allow parents or guardians to view health information by default. Perpetrators of domestic violence and child abuse with apprehended violence orders can access my health record to stalk their victims. Once a My Health Record has been created for you, the current legislation states it will never be deleted, only hidden from your view. The government has promised to change the legislation after the opt-out door is closed. Doctors' groups and social services groups have called for legislation to make My Health Record access only available for medical purposes. The Senate Estimates Committee made 14 recommendations that have all been ignored. Amongst them, a ban on secondary uses of private data, commercial purposes, employment or insurance purposes, or to enable the government to recoup revenue. The Coalition Senators on the Senate Estimates Committee released a dissenting minority report where they said, Coalition Senators are therefore concerned that making the system opt-in for research purposes would greatly diminish the potential data pool and limit the potential benefits. It could also lead to distortions in data sets and individuals who chose to opt-in under this approach may not be a representative sample of the wider Australian public. This doesn't sound like the Coalition see My Health Record as a system for helping individuals get better health outcomes. The Office of the Australian Information Commissioner reports that from 2012 to the present day, My Health Record computers have been hit by 99 data breaches, and at least one case of a mix-up where several individuals were linked to the wrong record while other cases involve people who had incorrect data loaded into their file because criminals made Medicare claims in their name. The Health Minister Greg Hunt denies the entire report, using excuses that the words privacy and security aren't defined in the legislation. If you do choose to opt out of my health record, you're always free to opt in at a later time. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Electronic Health. In August 2016, I spoke with Dr Bernard Robertson Dunn, Chairman of the Privacy Foundation's Health Committee, about the decision to turn my health record into a compulsory system. With just a day to go before the opt-out period ends, I spoke with him again by Skype and began by asking him what's changed in the electronic health record. I've done some quick research on the system as it was originally designed that the Labour Party approved 
and I noticed that there's four major differences from the original design, the original system that was approved by Cabinet. There's four differences. One is it was designed to be opt-in. Yes. It was designed and implemented with the explicit consent of the people involved. The legislation said people must be asked for their consent to allow the system to gather information on them and to supply it, make it available to health care providers. The system was originally designed with a very small central database and an index to data in other what they called conformant databases. So the data in a GP's record or a hospital or some other conformant database will be accessible by users, users being patients or healthcare providers. They will go and look at originals. The central database was for things like access control, identity, advanced care planning, a few other things associated with the health record, but not containing much health data whatsoever. And the last one was the need to have a smart card. Each health service provider was to have a smart card that would identify them, that would manage access control, but would then allow the audit logs to show which individuals had accessed the record. That did not happen. The linking of data did not happen it turned into one that uploads all data into a central database. This is not the system that was originally envisaged and approved by the Labour Party. I believe they know this now, partly because I've told them, (laughs) Um, because it looks as though the Labour Party is backing away from the bipartisan approach. They are realising that the system is not what they said it was. They know that they're changing it from opt-in to opt-out. That's a fairly obvious one. It's less well known about consent and it's generally unknown that there's a difference between the way data flows and the access controls. So in that sense, things have changed since it was originally designed, then implemented. Not much has changed in the two years since we spoke, other than some shared health summaries have been um, input. The government can claim that 6.25 million people have been registered for a health record. Mm-hmm. That does not mean they have one. The basic document in a My Health record is a shared health summary, which is uploaded by a nominated service provider, which is usually a GP, but it can also be a nurse or other provider. That contains information, if agreed, on allergies, immunizations, medication, and event summaries that can indicate what conditions you may have suffered from, your current status things like that. That is one of the few documents that cannot be controlled in terms of access. The government says you can control what what documents can be seen. Yes, but not that one. There is a personal health summary, which is similar to the shared health summary, and that contains allergies and adverse reactions and medications. That's all. That can also not be controlled. Now, of the 6.25 million current records, it is estimated that about 25% of them have a shared health record ever uploaded. The absolute maximum is 30% because the government statistics say how many shared health summaries have ever been uploaded, and that's just over 2 million. So it is impossible for there to be more than 30% of existing records to have a shared health summary. It is more likely about 25%, 
some time ago, about a year ago, the government said the number was 20%. So it's probably grown. If you look at the number of shared health summaries uploaded this calendar year, so from, say, 1st of January, it comes to about 9% of existing records have a shared health summary. In other words, not many existing health records are of much use, purely by volume. If the 17 million people who have so far not opted out are added to the system, the number of people with a shared health summary will be about 3 or 4%. The number of shared health summaries will grow slowly and it might take a long time for it to become, say, 30, 40, 50%. When somebody is registered for a My Health record, that is all that will happen. They are registered. As the government says, if you look at your My Health record when you get it, it will be mostly empty. If you have said, do not upload Medicare or pharmaceutical benefit scheme data, there will be none. If you don't say, don't, it will be there. So there will be some health data normally if you don't decide not to include that data. That's all that will be there. There will be no historical data uploaded. So if you have a condition years ago that you don't want the government to find out about it, they won't, um, or anyone else for that matter, because you will need to arrange for it to be uploaded. If you want to make full use of my health record, and yes, for some people, some of the time there will be some benefits, for people to get those benefits, they will need to make sure that appropriate information is uploaded into their My Health record. And one thing the government is not making clear about this personally controlled aspect, and as they say in the headlines, your health record in your hands, that is literally true. It is your health record in a government database. Your health record at your GP will be managed by the GP. At a hospital, they will manage it. They'll manage the privacy, the security, access control, and such like. By uploading data by whatever means to my health record, the only person who's responsible for the privacy, accuracy, completeness, etc., of that record is you. The government will not do it. Health service providers will not do it. They are not obligated to use it. They are not obligated to correct it. They may or they may not. But in terms of sheer who is responsible for your privacy of the data in my health record, it is the person who owns the record. That is not being made clear. It is implicit in the information that the government has provided, but people don't realise it. And that is one of our big complaints, that people are not being fully informed of the responsibilities they have when they have a my health record. There hasn't been any big public information about my health record and how it's going to work and the benefits and dealing with any of the issues people have raised about privacy and security. The strategy of the Australian Digital Health Agency was to work through primary health networks, doctors, hospitals, in other words, the health system itself. I've been to my GP and there's a poster up saying, you will get a health record. I got the brochure that I quoted from, from my GP. They are available at post offices. When the opt-out scheme initially happened, I decided to go into the post office and ask them for the brochure. They said, what brochure? They went into the back room and found it and gave me one. Eventually, it turned out on the counter, and yes, they are there. In the past two or three weeks, the government has paid for, and they have been on television stations, adverts for My Health Record, where they say, you will get a health record unless you opt out. Uh, initially, it will be empty you and your health provider can put data in. 
All of it is pretty true. The concern is not what they say, but what they don't say. I have not seen anywhere in any government website or brochure why you might opt out. What class of people should consider to opt out? Why they might, the risks of having one, how to opt out is normally available, how to operate the system itself, I have not seen any instruction manuals whatsoever. I have a My Health record. I've had one for a couple of years because I want to know how it works. And there's one document in it, it's an empty discharge summary, apart from the MBS PBS data, which gets uploaded. There are help systems in there, so if you go looking for help, you can find some instructions, but you have to know what questions to ask. It doesn't tell you how the system works, doesn't tell you what you might do, what should do, what circumstances you'd be wise to do various things. I'm suggesting that the government, if they do move to opt out and register people, they write to them and tell them they have a record. They issue instruction manuals, which can be done electronically or in hard copy or both. And they offer and run training sessions for people. Because not many people understand computers enough to teach themselves. And no. considering the government wants just about everybody to have one, it would be a good idea to know how to work it. If you've got a complex medical history, if the old medical history information isn't going to be automatically loaded, then that's a lot of work that you suddenly need to do to get any benefit from this. Yes. You cannot upload any medical documents. You can fill in a bit of data. Your GP, your specialist, pathology labs and others can upload data. They are effectively just documents. There is no sense of context. A GP, if they really wanted to, could upload a fairly large document that detailed the patient's history, diagnoses, um, potential treatment, real treatment, proposed treatment, that sort of stuff. Um, but if the doctor does that, why not just print it out and the patient carries it? Yes. Why not give it to them on a USB stick or put it in the cloud or somewhere else? For most of the claimed benefits for my health record, there are alternative solutions that are much easier, cheaper and better. And more are coming. The one about being in an emergency department where you have allergies or other special needs, there's a thing called medical alert. Yes, you have to pay for it, but you get a service. You have a bracelet with an ID. You go into ED. They see the bracelet. They ring the phone number, quote the number, and there's a person at the end who will discuss the condition of that patient with the emergency department. And they can say things like, how current is this information? What other information do you have? Etc. Etc. Um, medically, that's far more useful than having access to a My Health record, which has a lot of documents that you've then got to wade through to interpret. There are apps on smartphones that give access to your My Health record and other things as well. Certainly people want digital access to their health information, which is in other systems anyway. They want a better experience with the health system, such as making appointments, requesting repeat prescriptions and such like. Um, my health record does none of that. Um, so that means you have to know how to operate my health record and your local GP system. GPs have to know how to operate their system as well as my health record. It's an additional impost over and above normal health records that health providers use. Putting data into my health record is largely manual. There may be an automatic component in the sense that um, a hospital creates a discharge summary, uploads it automatically to my health record and sends a copy to the GP. Yeah, fair enough. But for GPs, 
to put sensible information about your health into my health record, they have to work at it. The AMA produced a guide for using the PCEHR, which was its original name. It's 27 pages long. It's not just a single brochure that says, oh, just do this. The, the government through the ADHA say, uploading a health summary is a matter of a few clicks. Yes, it just updates your allergies, immunizations and medications, which is relatively trivial. If you do have a complex condition, it's far, far more serious an effort to put the information up. And as I said, there's probably better ways of doing it. There was a Senate Estimates Committee where I believe they made 14 recommendations, none of which were adopted, and the coalition senators put a minority report where they were concerned that if it wasn't opt-out, the data wouldn't be valuable enough. Did you see that? I went to the Senate inquiry. I gave evidence and made a submission. There were 118 submissions, some of which were from the government. So in general, over 100 people but made the effort of making submissions. Those submissions, the report and the recommendations have in general been ignored by the government. They decided that they would increase the protection given to my health record data by changing the legislation, which is easy and cheap. It's also almost meaningless because in two years' time, the government of the day, if they've got a Majority in the reps and the Senate can change it again. They can, any government in the future in 10, 15, 20 years' time can change it. So to say that my health record will never be sold, the data will never be sold, insurance companies will never get at it, or that doctors can treat it as optional, because at the moment it is, the government can change any amount of legislation. So that sort of protection is only half serious. The rest of them have been largely ignored. One of them, which is to do with seven, 14 to 17-year-old children and their access, they said, we will have a look at it. Promises, promises. One of the recommendations was to change the default access codes to no access. And the government and the ADHA threw their hands up in horror and said, this makes it opt-in again. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole idea. Rather than making it totally open to any health provider who's providing services to you, lock it down completely, and you give permission. If it's an emergency, yes, you can get at it, so you cover the emergency one-off if it's of any use. But if you go and see a doctor, they say, can I see your health record, please? Yes. And as a starter, that's consent. Secondly, you may have a PIN or some other access control device such that the doctor can't just ignore your wishes. But there is no sense of making it difficult to get at your health data rather than very easy to get at your health data. In fact, that was one of the original objectives of my health record was to reduce fragmentation, which it hasn't done, and to make access to your health data easier. Now, it's dangerous if you get what you want sometimes because now it is easier to get access to your health data if you put it up there. Well, that's right. But, I mean, I was seeing descriptions that employers could ask you for your my health records and use that information against you insurance companies could ask it from you um, health insurance companies have always been able to ask you for your medical history when considering whether to insure you and what rate and that's fair enough they're taking a risk they need knowledge don't have a problem with that they can go to your gp 
They can ask you. If you make false statements, they can say, sorry, you lied, we're not covering you. That, that's always been there. Having access to your health record on an individual basis can probably happen anyway. An insurance company might say, well, we'll only insure you if you show us your my health record. It's a bit like going to an employer and then saying, tell us what your Facebook account is because we want to have a look at your lifestyle. And you can say no, and they can say, okay, we will consider your application. It's not much different. And the best way to avoid that is not to have a Facebook account. And proving you don't have something is actually rather difficult because you may have it under a different name or something. But some of the fears about my health record are actually exaggerated, but so are some of the benefits. Do you have any concluding statements about what people should do now that we're just a couple of days away from the opt-out period closing? I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, some of the media reports may be phrasing it in a rather um, hyperbolic way, that if you don't opt out by tomorrow, you will get a health record and you'll have it for life. That is unlikely, partly because, assuming the federal government gets its legislation through about deleting complete records that are de deactivated, that will allow you to get rid of it. On the other hand, you don't have to assist health service providers from uploading data, so no data gets in it. You can yourself go into it and manage the data there and make sure there's nothing there, but it's hidden, deleted or whatever. There are ways of doing this. So the first thing is not to panic if you can't opt out by tomorrow night. The advice is to opt out. We've always said that because there is no risk, really, if you opt out and then decide you want one. In fact, if you opt out today, you can always opt in, register, in two days' time. You don't even have to wait until the registration is automatic. In fact, if you want one, get one now. And if you want one, have one. It's your choice, your risk. You decide if you can manage the privacy and such like. You decide if there's any benefits, and there may well be benefits for you. Um, at the population level, it is doubtful whether there's any major benefit. There are other ways of doing this thing. If you're really concerned about your health data, do something about it. There's things you can do. Well, Bernard, thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. That was Dr Bernard Robertson Dunn from the Australian Privacy Foundation talking about the Australian Government's centralised My Health Record system. You can read more at privacy.org.au. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email with a question I can answer on the show. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Sound and fact-checking by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 26 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambaka Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, 7LTN City Park Radio in Launceston, Tasmania, and my local station 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally 
on the National Science Foundation Science 360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.